for the opportunity to be here tonight. I'm thankful that y'all have allowed us to come. I'm truthfully thankful for the good fellowship that Maple Grove and Lafayette have with one another. Amen. It's good to have good sister churches in amongst us. Yeah. And my, my thought tonight is going to come from the book of Second John. We're just going to go ahead and read that whole chapter. And starting in that first verse, and it says, The elders unto the elect lady, and her children, whom I love, and the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love, in love, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourself that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth uh, and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biteth him good Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with the paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee, amen. My thought tonight simple. Church needs to know how to reject doctrine that simply isn't true. And in that thought, there's a lot of false doctrines in the world. There's a lot of false doctrines in amongst our county. And we find that often we can find, we can look at this, and the, the simplest way to look at this is the word heresy. If something's contrary to the word of God, it's heresy. And somebody that believes and practices that is a heretic. Now when we look at that, there's two types of heresy. Brother Billy Moran wrote a book several years ago, and he titled it The Missionary Baptist Handbook. And if you read there, he gets on a good little section about heresy. And he explains that there's two types of heresy. There's damnable heresy, and then there's non-damnable heresy. And now non-damnable heresy, a, a good picture to look at for that that we can point to is there's churches that teach and preach sound salvation, yet they believe you can lose your salvation. Naturally, that's something that we disagree on. We preach once saved, always saved. We believe in the perseverance of saints. Amen. And so we can find that, that it's contrary to the word what they believe, but that belief won't send them to hell. Now we can look farther on and we can get into the doctrines of we wouldn't call them churches, but there's so-called churches per se would be a way to look at that. And they teach doctrines that 
They teach unsound salvation. They teach that you can accept Christ, that you can repeat prayers, you can talk people off altars. These are damnable heresies because they can they lead lost people right to hell. So first of all, it's important that we guard our altars. In other words, that we make sure that what we preach is the truth and that we make sure that nothing enter in I can word that. In other words, we need to make sure that we never compromise on anything concerning salvation. Yes, sir. Amen. That's something that we ought to truthfully hold to and guard to the best of our abilities. I'm thankful for the people that encouraged me to go to church. I wasn't raised in this old-fashioned way. To be honest, growing up, we didn't go to church much, and what little we did go, we went to the Church of Christ. And then when I started dating Hannah, she got on to me to go to church. And she got on to me pretty hard, but I didn't want to go. And y'all know Brother Heath Dotson, I worked for his daddy in high school some, and he encouraged me to go to church with Hannah. And I went to Knob Springs one night and heard Brother Anthony Dixon preach, and I didn't get saved that night, but that was the first time I ever set foot in a sound church house. And I got saved on a Thursday evening out of fence roll one evening since, and I'd moved some cows that evening, and the Lord laid that heavy load of conviction down upon my heart. And I sought the Lord. I asked Him to help me. I asked Him to forgive me. And He spoke a peace to me that's never departed from me since. I'm thankful that I got that time and a place on that Thursday evening. That's the best day and the best moment of my life. I'm thankful for what the Lord's allowed me to feel. And it's truthfully important that we make sure that we always preach sound salvation. And that we never compromise in any way, shape, or form. Because there's all these doctrines of the world that try to creep in. They deceive many of our people. Because it seems that we lose more people than we gain. They've been raised in church their whole life and they get older and they depart from us. So it's important that we as a people, now this just don't go for our preachers and our deacons, it goes for us all. That we're studied in the Word, that we know what we preach, that we understand basic Baptist doctrine. Brother Mark Gregory taught a lesson at Macon a few weeks ago about biblical doctrine. And he went through there explaining that the doctrine in which we preach is this. It's the Word of God. In other words, that we need to hold to that and that we need to know and understand that. Because sometimes I feel that they're may be people that simply ignorant to basic Baptist doctrine. And if somebody if you don't know and understand the doctrine, if somebody brings forth something that isn't true, how are you supposed to reject it if you don't know if it's true or not? In other words, you need to have an understanding of the doctrine. We need to guard our pulpits. In other words, if I get out of line one of y'all's deacons or Brother Benji or somebody needs to sit me down and correct me would be my some simplest way to look at that is we need to know how to guard our pulpits. We need to know how to reject doctrine that isn't true. Because there's all these doctrines of the world and then there's some doctrines that may be in amongst us as missionary Baptists that are contrary to the word. Sometimes you'll find brethren that may have some strange ideas. 
it's important that we know and understand the truth because if you get to being a young preacher and going around and preaching places and stuff I've encountered some people that just have some weird ideas and you know when that little alarm bell goes off that didn't sound right you know we need to need to study things out and make sure we understand and, and for instance there's a, a doctrine that it's, I won't say it's rather common in Smith County but a doctrine that comes up from time to time is there's some brethren that believe that the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit are separate and I had never heard nothing like that until I heard that for the first time and it blew my mind when you study that out, a basic definition of that word says that the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit are synonyms, which means they're the same thing. To my knowledge, all of my Baptist brethren that I know, we all preach and practice that. But I have found some that get a little leery out there on that. And so it's important that we know and understand the truth. Because you can... Because if we don't know and understand, things can creep in. You know, those churches that were once sound, and we wonder what happened to them. What happens to these churches that were once sound, that once taught the truth? Somebody brought forth something contrary to the word, and the church didn't reject it. In other words, a good way to look at that is, is I don't believe stuff like that just creeps in and explodes right in your face. They don't just creep in and just go right off the wall one day. It's a subtle change. You know, they preach something a little, you know, touch bit wrong, and that touch bit continues to grow when it manifests, and the next thing you know, you've got a church that ain't sound at all. They don't practice sound salvation. They don't practice any, many things they practice are not sound. The most important thing that we need to hold to is that our sal that how we preach and practice salvation, that that's sound. But there's other things that ain't true in some churches, and they slowly and they depart from the truth. It's important that we be grounded in the truth and we that we hold to the truth. It is extremely important that we know and understand what we what we practice and what we preach. It's extremely important that we sit down and take time to read the Bible, Amen. that we pray, because. If I've learned one thing since the Lord's called me to preach, if I'm not preaching, I don't study. What happens is, is my Bible winds up over on the nightstand and Mikey ain't picked it up and read it several days. It sits over untouched, gets that little thin layer of dust on it because we get lazy. We become complacent. We ought to try to pick this up and read it every opportunity we get. We ought to be a prayerful people. I encourage you to pray for Brother Benji. It's important to pray for you, Pastor. It's extremely important to pray for you, Pastor, and it's extremely important to pray for your brethren and sisters and amongst you, to pray for your sister churches. I believe that the Lord's church ought to be a house of prayer. We ought to be a praying people, and we ought to have a great desire to pray. I believe over in the book of Thessalonians, it tells us to pray without ceasing. In other words, we ought to always have a burden to pray about something. And if we don't have a burden to pray about something, that ought to be our burden. I imagine there's probably lost in Lafette's church. I, I don't know that for sure, but I imagine there is. We have lost in Maple Grove. We ought to at least always pray for them. They're the sickest people of all. They're in a dangerous situation. If they die in that condition, they're going to die and go to hell. There's lost out in the world. I imagine most of us probably all have lost in their families. 
or friends that are lost. I have a whole family that needs to hear the truth. I ought to reach out and encourage them to come. But you see, sometimes we don't like to do that, do we? We ought to, the Bible tells us, I believe it's over in the book of Luke. Maybe wrong on that. I ought to study that a little more. I tried to preach about that this morning. But it tells us to compel people from the highways and the hedges to come to church. We ought to have a desire to compel people to come. We ought to reach out to people and invite people to come. I want to see our churches prosper and grow. Some of our churches have more people than others. If you get to going around and preaching on appointments or you get to going around and visiting places, you'll see a lot of churches and they're in dying situations. When you go and you preach somewhere and there's two people, two or three people, and they're 75 and 85 plus, it's only a nature of time to show you the future of that church. That church is dying if something don't change. It's heartbreaking to see churches like that. I want to see lost people get saved by the grace of God. I want to see our churches prosper and grow. I'm incredibly thankful for the people that encouraged me. A little bit of encouragement can go a great long way. Just reach out and invite somebody. It ain't that hard. I know sometimes we don't like it and we fear rejection, but I believe the book of Matthew in the 10th chapter tells us if we're rejected, it tells us to shake the dust off and to continue on. We can't force people to come, but we can certainly invite them and encourage them to come. It's truthfully important that we know our doctrine, that we know and have a good knowledge and understanding of our doctrine. And like I said, that just ain't for our preachers and our deacons, that's for everybody. We ought to all know and understand our doctrine. Because things can creep in and churches can be overtook. I hate that I even have to begin to touch on this, but when you look at that, you know, a pastor is to be a servant of the church, they're not a dictator. There's some people that practice that way, and it's very, it's, it's destruction is what it is. We're to be servants. Everything we do should be to serve honor and glory to God. It should be the point to Jesus. I believe arrogance behind the pulpit is an extremely ugly thing. We should be men that are humble and submit ourselves to the Lord. We should try to point towards the Lord. This ain't about us. If you want to look at somebody that, that fails and falls short, you're looking at one. Pretty well, all I'm not good at most of the time. I don't understand how people can fill pulpits and say, look at me. And while they might not actually say, look at me, you know, they use that word I all the time. It's saying I matter. We need to point, we need, everything we do should point towards Jesus. We should be exalting Jesus. But I tell you, these, these false doctrines of the world, they try to creep in and they try to deceive us. There's people that try to come in and deceive. And I believe we'll look over in the book of Titus for just a moment. Y'all soon learn I'm probably about the most scattered brain person there is. 
But uh, I want to look over in the book of Titus in the third chapter in the 10th and the 11th verse. And it says, A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he is such, is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. So let's look at that for a moment. If there's one in amongst us that believes in a heresy, and they bring that to light, you know, that comes up. We need to reject that. We need to rebuke. We need to know how to rebuke people. And we'll look over. Let's look over in Second Timothy. I'm going to look at it in the fourth chapter, the second verse. It says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove and rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. In other words, we ought to know how to rebuke people. Now, there's a way to rebuke people. Now, if something's plumb off the wall, if, you know, you probably ought to sit down behind, set, set somebody down from behind your pulpit and call them out of order. But and this can concern people in the church too. But if somebody's out of order, we need to know how to. That situation needs to be stopped if it gets to a certain point. And it's easy to preach about having backbone. It's a different thing to actually have it when that situation arises. Because you know. You see things going on that shouldn't, and then we get a little cowardly and sit down and don't stop it when it should be stopped. I've been in about two situations like that in my life, and the Lord surely whooped me for them. Things went on that shouldn't have, should have took her stand, but it's easy to preach about backbone until it's time to actually have it. That second time reject, if somebody's a member of the church and they believe in open form of heresy, when you took the stance to correct this, and then they come back and they've not done, there comes a point where church discipline is a thing. There are several of our churches that are undisciplined per se. A church needs to have discipline in it. I know that's a touchy subject and people just don't like it. And when you discipline somebody in church, it should be out of love. When we rebuke people, that should be out of love. Everything we do should be out of love. But we gotta have to know how to protect the cause. We can't let nothing hinder the cause. But discipline should always be out of love. And when it's done, we, our hope should always be that we can get them to come back and apologize. I've seen, I've only seen one person in my time in church join the church for restoration. Outside of a service where somebody got saved, that was probably one of my favorite services I've ever been in. We visited at New Design one night in Revival, and there was a young lady there. Uh, she had got out in the world and had been on drugs and stuff, and she had got into Romans 8 and 28, and they visited a lot of revivals, and well, that girl was a member there. And she apologized to the church that night, that church just unleashed a shouting. I mean, that church just come alive. It was, it was, truthfully, it was just beautiful to see that act of love come from people. I have heard of situations where churches haven't forgave people when they come forth and make their apologies to the church. I simply believe that's unchristian life. We have a duty and a job to forgive people. You know, when we open the doors of church, that way of restoration is there for a reason. While we may never see it get used much, it's important that it's there. And it always should be important that if we've disciplined one, that we would encourage them to come back and apologize. 
I believe that with my whole heart. We ought to encourage people to come back. We ought to reach out to the world and try to get them to come in that they may hear the truth, that they can be convicted and that they can get saved. But we ought to also reach out to those that's on our old book that ain't been. I've never been to a church that has 100% attendance. Maple Grove, according to their old book, has like 214 members. I've never seen 214 people at Maple Grove. But if we as a church reached out and encouraged them people to come back, naturally they know they should be there. The church has set apart a time to meet. You know, I imagine Lafette has Sunday school and they have church service, of course. Y'all set apart these times. The members of the church should be there. We have a job. When the church sets apart times, we have a job to be there. And it's important that we be there. Our service is needed. It's important that we be here and be willing to do whatever the Lord would lay upon us to do. It's important that we follow the Spirit. I want the Spirit of the Lord to be in the house. And I want it to have free course in amongst us. You know, we don't get to have testifying services much, but it's surely good to be in them. I've always been, Brother Dean often tells us the best services he ever has when there's no preaching. He's told, that, he's told us that several times. And some of the best services I can think of are often when there was no preaching. It's when people followed the Lord and we testified. and People done what the Lord had laid upon their heart. One of my favorite services I've ever been in was when Hannah stood up and told us about when she got saved. We didn't have no preaching that day. We had a good old testifying service. The next Sunday we had a baptism. I tell you, it's important that when people get saved that they get baptized and join the church. That's a commandment. But maybe sometimes we don't preach and touch on that nearly like we should. But it's important to be a member of the Lord's church. And it's important to be where the Lord would have you to be. That way you can best serve Him. It's truthfully important to be a member of the Lord's church. thankful to know that the Lord saved my soul. Thankful for everything he's ever done for me. I believe that's all I've got today.